Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 94 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I think you know I love the local church. I just do. I never get tired of talking to local church leaders, never get tired of hearing the mission being realized, and I get really excited uh, whenever somebody plants a church in a tough region. And that's today's guest. Matt Tuning, a few years ago, got called to Boston planted a church in Boston, young church planter, and we're going to hear his story today. I think you're going to love it. So for those of you planting churches, for those of you now, he's a few years into it, trying to transition to church. For those of you trying to figure out how to reach a tough area, you're going to love today. So thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who continues to leave reviews on iTunes. I am just blown away by how encouraging you guys are. want to thank you so much for that. And um, hey, you know, business leaders listen as well. I remember one review that came in from uh, the managing partner of a 300-person law firm. I mean, that's huge, okay? When I worked in law, uh, there weren't that many lawyers, I can tell you that. And uh, man, for, for you to be able to glean some lessons in, in the law firm out of this, that's awesome. Lots of business leaders who listen. Of course, lots of church leaders, all the student pastors, kid pastors, and the lead pastors, which is probably the position I identify with most because... That's where I've spent most of my life. Um, hey, welcome aboard. Really glad you're here. And thank you so much for all the encouragement, all the positive feedback. Hey, want to let you know that uh, over this next season in the podcast, you're going to hear about some sponsors because obviously we want to keep this free to you, but there are some costs associated with doing this. And we have some incredible people that are coming on board to help us bring you this podcast every week. And I just want you to know straight up, that the sponsorships are not really for sale. They're kind of by invitation only. These are actually, when you hear me talk about a sponsor, these are organizations I trust implicitly. And I think if you use them, um, you're actually going to be grateful for it. This is not like trying to get you to click on some spam or something like that. These are first class leadership organizations that I have a lot of confidence in. So I just want to preface that to let you know, and I want to thank our sponsors because they're going to make sure that we can keep doing this and keep reaching more leaders. And so today I want to thank EA Help. Uh, you've heard me talk about EA Help lately because they are a big part of my life. In fact, they're helping me with my assistant right now, and she and they are doing a great job. So they are actually the leading virtual assistant provider in the U.S., and I started working with them back in April. I, I can't say enough good things because when I lost my incredible assistant, I thought, how am I ever going to fix this? And uh, you can get a rock star assistant too from EA Help. And what was probably the most powerful is the person they gave me, Sarah Horn, who's incredible, absolutely hit the ground running. And so I am so grateful for that. And she's teaching me a few things as well. So uh, if you're nervous about like getting qualified people, man, you got to check out EA Help. So you can go to eahelp.com for that. Also, today's podcast is supported by the Vanderblumen Search Group. Uh, William Vanderblumen's got a brand new book called Search, the Pastoral Search Committee Handbook. And he was on episode 19, if you want to go back and, and listen to William personally. But if you've been listening to the podcast, you know 
how much I think having the right people on board on your team is so critical. And so now there's a handbook. It can help put your search team. It can help you, church leaders, elder boards, search committee, and pastors uh, in terms of giving a guide to asking the right questions in order to plan for the overwhelming and pretty high stakes pastor search process. So you can actually get this book on Amazon, or if you want to have a look first, you can get the first chapter for free at pastorsearchbook.com. And then finally, if you haven't headed on over to my blog yet, why don't you do that? Because I not only do this podcast, I write a blog, and we're going to take it to another level very, very soon. We have some exciting things in the work. I would love for you to subscribe. There's like 29,000 leaders who subscribe via email, and we're going to do an even better job of delivering on that. So you can visit kerryneuhoff.com and subscribe to my email list. You'll see the little pop-up or the thing on the side, and make sure you're one of the first to know what's ahead. So, hey, I'm super excited about Matt, and I just want to also say thank you to everybody who, like, did that little selfie thing with the podcast last week. That was fun. Anytime you want to get my attention on the podcast, just use the hashtag CNLP on Instagram or on Twitter. And uh, thanks to everybody who shared last week. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Number one way I listen to podcasts is like cutting the grass or yard work. That's for me. Anyway, wherever you are today, here we go. Some more leadership gold from Matt Tuning. Well, Matt, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad uh, to finally meet you. I've heard a lot about you, and uh, you left me a voicemail message that uh, kind of made me go, this guy sounds really interesting, and we got a mutual friend in Joshua Gagnon, also known as Josh Gagnon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but love welcome to the podcast, man. Glad to be on, man. I would love what you guys do over there. It's just so, such an encouragement. Well, thanks. Hey, give us a little bit of background on you and Netcast Church to kind of fill in our readers, because uh, here you are in Boston doing something that not a lot of church leaders do in an area like New England. And I'd just love to hear some background. So start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background, because you never thought you'd end up planning a church or being in ministry, did you? No, no, never. So uh, grew up in New Jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't shoot. That's not my fault. God ordained that, right? And uh, <laughs> so grew up in Jersey. Uh, mom was a bad Jew. Dad was a bad Catholic. That's their words, not mine. They split up when I was uh, about four. And uh, and so I really didn't grow up with any type of spiritual upbringing at all. I mean, they, they we didn't practice anything. Never really met a Christian, actually, until I was in college. I Wound wow. up going to uh, Eastern Nazarene College in Quincy, Massachusetts, and I went there simply to play basketball as a basketball recruit. Uh, the guy told me when I when I got on campus for my recruiting trip, um, the the admissions guy said, "Man, you, you do not want to come to this school. Everything you plan to do in college, if you do it here, we're going to kick you out." And uh, <laughs> and so you know he, he walked me through some sort of lifestyle covenant. You know, not going to have sex, not going to drink, not going to watch certain movies. I had to fill out some sort of statement of faith or testimony. And I think in my testimony it was like, I'm an ADD kid who needs some help. Uh, can I come to your school or something? I mean, I, <laughs> I don't really know exactly uh, what was going on there. I do remember they asked me if I was a Christian and my answer was yes, my mother's Jewish. Um, I knew that. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> answer, Matt. Yeah. Uh, Cause I knew that, I knew that those two things worked together. I knew Jesus Somehow. and Jews like were connected back then. And so uh, so I wind up on this campus um, probably in mid-August and uh, of 2000, and uh, immediately um, I'm the bad kid who needs to get good by getting saved. That's what everybody's telling Everybody me. Everybody could spot that oh, maybe yeah. you didn't have much of the Christianese background. Yeah, man. You. So I'm thrown into the Christian bubble. I'm calling my dad. I'm saying, Dad, you need to get me out of here. Uh, these people pray. They talk to God. And... <laughs> 
Like they really talk to God. They really think God hears them. It's really weird. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget. I was um, that summer. I was playing basketball in New Jersey. There was an altercation that broke out. A guy pulled out a gun and uh, freaked me out. And so, uh, so I was a little jittery. Uh, just, you know, over the course of the next few months, but I walk into my very first chapel service and a guy is in the very back row with his hands up in the air crying. And I saw that and I freaked out and ran out of the, uh, the chapel thinking somebody pulled a gun (laughs) only to find, (laughs) only to find out that that's what Christians do, man. They sing songs to God, they raise their hands and they cry. And so, so I, mean, I just kind of got thrown into that thing so quick, had no idea what was going on. And, uh, so awesome. and about, yeah, about probably maybe two to three weeks after uh, being on campus, maybe a month, uh, a guy by the name of Ricky Grant, uh, another guy on the basketball team, shared the gospel with me. I, mean, I just believed. I, hmm. You know, he basically, he, it's a long story, but he basically just told me I was going to stand before a holy God one day and have to give an account for my life. And what would I say? And I, you didn't have to convince me in those days that I was I had problems, and so uh, I kind of the idea of sin was was just natural. I knew I was a sinner, right. and so uh, so the offer of kind of this new slate, Christ taking my sins upon Himself and extending to me kind of a fresh start, and uh, was very appealing. And so the Lord just uh, saved me that day, and my life has been, I guess, radically changed, like every other believer in the world who's uh, experience the grace of God. And so, so that was in 2000, always thought I was going to climb the corporate ladder, but, uh, about 2007, uh, wound up graduating from school, worked in the corporate world for a, a little while. In 2007, I was working for a company in North Carolina, uh, went to bed one night, Lord, uh, had a dream that I was playing a church back in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wow. Yeah, it's just it started. And is that where a, the college was again in Boston? Yeah, okay. yep. College was in Boston. So, and I worked in Boston two years after school, and so I I had this dream. Wound up having the same dream five nights in a row. And after the fifth night, I I turned to my wife and I said, "Honey, if we were going to plant a church, where would we go?" And she said, uh, "Probably Boston, but I don't want to talk about this." And so, <laughs> um, and so it, the Lord had been working on her as well. Our story is a little bit different. Like we didn't really want to do this. Um, we didn't really have much intention of leaving the South where everybody's so hospitable and there's sweet tea and people smile and everybody goes to church. We didn't really want to leave that environment. Mm. So that was in 2007. We went through probably about a three year assessment process where uh, I continued to work at the company that I was at, but was being assessed by some different groups. And just to, I was looking for somebody to tell me not to do this, but the Lord just kept um, confirming that call uh, every, pretty much at every turn. And so um, in 2010, my wife and I and our four kids, we parachuted in. We had no team. We had, we had never done anything like this before. <laughs> we had never multiplied a group you know, in our home and, or a small group or a community group. or I had never preached two weekends in a row. Wow. And, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was crazy. So, so we, you're well credentialed to start a church. Oh yeah, man. I'm, mm. I'm your guy for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. So that was, that was it. And we showed up, uh, September 1st, 2010 and, and just started and that was it. Wow. So you just went in cold. Yeah. How did you start? Cause I mean, a lot of church planters listen to this or there are people who are going, uh Oh, I had dreams three to five <laughs> nights in a row. Uh Oh, right. right. Um, so we we parachuted in with uh you know we we, we always we always say you 
it's important to write your philosophy in pencil, not in pen, because mm-hmm. it's going to shift and change. And so um, w- when we got here, we had this strategy and plan, and then it just got blew, it, it just blew up uh, after getting here. Um, the goal was really let, let's start like these little groups. I remember, um, and, and just see if they multiply. I remember being assessed and uh, one of my assessors through the X29 network asked me if you had no money, uh, you have no building, no worship leader, uh, no sound system, like how are you going to reach people? Yeah. And I, and I think my answer was something like, well, I guess I'll have to raise money to get a building and to get a, a worship leader. And to, like, I, I don't know how to do that. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, again, I just, I was very, I felt very unqualified. I didn't know what I was doing. And so we wound up interning at a church in North Carolina, leaving the church that we were part of that was very attractional. And uh, we have nothing against being attractional. The opposite of attractional uh, is is ugly. And so we don't want to be, <laughs> we don't want to be ugly. Right. <laughs> so we got nothing against being attractional. But we, yeah, we just didn't know how to uh, reach people outside of that attractional model. And so started uh, interning at this church called 121 in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and they lived uh, much differently. Like the, uh, and they, they, I mean, I remember the first interaction I had with one of the pastors there was he came to my house, walked through my front door, began opening my fridge, and treating my house like it was his. <laughs> and uh, and I'm from Jersey. You don't do that, no, right? No, no. Like, you shoot people, I guess, right? Who do that, right. right? And so, but he began that that church modeled for us biblical living, and I think it was the first time that we had seen that. And so. Coming back to your question, we came to Boston with this mindset of let's try to create something that is unique in terms of uh, we're not trying to be just attractional. We're not trying to be just missional. We want to kind of be both be balanced in every way we know how. Uh, The only area that we won't be balanced is in the gospel, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. the power of God for salvation of man. And so plant the gospel. Don't just plant a church and see what happens. That's good. Plant the gospel. Don't just plant a church. I like that. That's true. And for us, I mean, that was, that was legitimate for us because we knew that if we were trying to simply plant a church, we would, the temptation would be to try to pull people into our brand of Christianity, whatever our sect was or kind of our tribe. And uh, we wanted to be careful not to do that. We just, there's so many non-Christians in our context. It's like, man, just tell them about Jesus and see what happens. It, maybe the Bible's right. It'll actually flourish and grow and turn into a church. And so, so that's what we did. And so we started with 30 people um, in our uh, living room. After okay, 30. how did you gather those 30 people? So yes, you, you went in cold. Went in cold. So uh, that's, man, that's a great question. So one of the first things that we did when we got here was, uh, back back then, there was all these different Facebook pages that were associated with specific towns, and so I started posting on these Facebook pages uh, uh, a proposition. I said, "If anybody's willing to meet with me to talk about spirituality or religion for thirty minutes, uh, I'll buy your coffee because I'm doing a project." And so uh, <laughs> that's crazy, so, right? And so I had I had an agenda, and my agenda was meet with as many people as I could to try to understand my context. I, I, when I'm talking to other church planners, I'm constantly trying to get them to learn their context personally, mm-hmm. uh, not just through demographic studies or books, but you need to actually get into your context, get into your culture, learn it by interacting with people. So I would literally 
sit down with people for eight hours a day and I would just tell them I'm doing a project. I would no presuppositional understanding of who I was. I wouldn't tell them anything until afterwards. And I would ask them three questions. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And how has that belief system come to alter your world at all? And I would just mm. sit there and listen. And so for for probably a couple months, I was I, I met with dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And I just learned so much about who these people are, what they believed, why they believed it, and how that belief system has changed their life at all. That's so good. Yeah, man. And so, um, and so after about 30 days of that and just being in, in like ingrained in our in our city, we invited everybody that we met to come and have dinner at our house. And so we had 30 <laughs> people show up and uh, I didn't know what to do. So I opened the Bible, Acts 17, and I, there's a, Paul is talking there and he says, God ordained where we would live and when we would live there for one reason. So that man would see God, perhaps reach out and find him because he's not far from any one of us. And I just looked at everybody and I said, what if that's true? What if God ordained where we live and, and, and uh, when we live there? Because he's des- desiring us in his sovereignty and grace to reach out and find him. And what if that's your purpose in this world? And what if that's my purpose in this world? And so that was kind of my pitch. That was my vision. Like, why not? Let's try this. And so um, from there, some people stuck around and we had another gathering about a couple months later, a month later, and 40 people came to that. And uh, to make a long story short, the YMCA locally, uh, we started serving some of their low income, they have some low income housing out here, mm-hmm. uh, started serving some of those people. And they said, man, you're, you're a church. If you ever need a place to meet, why don't you just use our building? We're closed on Sundays. And so I lied to them and said, well, yeah, well, we're launching January 23rd. I would love that because we <laughs> haven't found a spot yet. Although that was a total lie uh, in the moment, but it wasn't a lie because we did it. So, uh, <laughs> so quickly, I just wanted to see if they'd give me keys. And so they gave us keys to the building and we just tried to tell everybody that we knew that we were starting and church. this was when? Okay, so this happened in like November, December or so what? This- that conversation happened in November of uh, of two. So, so we're two only months there. to launch. Exactly. So and you don't know how to launch months. a church. Exactly. Right. And so uh, so we're there a couple months. They give us keys. We pick a date, and I just tried to mobilize the few people that we had, put people in their uh, in their giftings, and say, "Hey, listen, what what do you like to do? <laughs> well, okay, we'll do and, it." And you half know? of these people didn't attend church, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. A lot of them did not attend church. Actually, wow. the vast majority of them didn't attend church yet anywhere. And so some of these people were new from out of town. Some of these people were just not churched, uh, had left a church. And so de-churched. Um, some of them had never been to church before. And so I just tried to mobilize people and the vision was captivating. Like we're going to start something. And so, uh, so we launched uh, January 23rd, 2011, and 120 people show up to our launch service. And I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, wow. And so how did the 120, how did it go from like 40 to 70, I guess, like because you had 40 and 30 and not all of them stuck? Did they just invite their friends? So, so it actually, it started uh, the second vision night, only 40 people showed up. So yeah. we only really had 40 people showing oh, up. Oh, I see. Vision. It wasn't 40 plus 30. It was like the same people were invited back, but like it only right. grew a little bit. Only oh, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And my house is little. Like how do you fit 40 people in a house, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think from the beginning, 
our church has just uh, kind of grown through word of mouth. I mean, we don't do a whole bunch of marketing or anything like that. So I think just we had, for whatever reason, you know, the Lord had gone before us and just prepped people. And I know that's like not the answer that most leadership people want to hear. They want the practicals. But for us, I mean, that's pretty much our story. We that's we had done story. some things. Yeah, we had done some things. You know, in, in hindsight, uh, we did do some things prior to moving. I, I remember there was like a missions team that was in our area before we moved. And uh, I had asked them I you know, through some... Uh, just through a network of people that I knew, I knew that there was this team out there. So I asked them to go through the streets and find out from people, what's their biggest hangup with Christianity? Mm-hmm. And so we took their top 20 kind of problems with Christianity. And I did like two or three minute videos just rebuttaling those and then was posting them via social media on kind of local lo- local Facebook pages and things like that. And so I think before we moved, there was a buzz that uh, that there was this church that might show up and start, and then when it actually did start, people showed up. And, wow! Uh, so that was it, man. So yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So that was day one. You didn't know what you were doing. You hadn't actually preached two sermons in a row, and uh, like, how did you just found a few people who could play music and? You know, you bought a little bit of gear. How, how did you fund right. this if all the people... I'm just going to ask all the practical questions. How yeah. did you fund it if all the people didn't go to church? No, that's a great question. So I, for, uh, f- I basically had, um, had done some fundraising prior to moving. And I think we raised maybe about $90,000 before we left. But the vast majority of that, I mean, we live in one of the most expensive areas yeah. in, uh, in North America. And so the vast, right. The vast majority of that was supposed to be for our family and, uh, and my salary. And, uh, and again, because our, our model was just kind of reach your neighbor, we didn't anticipate a lot of that. So we looked pretty ghetto from the beginning. I mean, we had one Bose speaker and we had like, somebody gave us a, uh, like a, a screen and uh, another church, like all this happened so fast. I went to some random church and I was like, they were getting new chairs. And so I just asked if we could have their chairs and we had 70 chairs. That's all we had. So you could imagine 120 people showing up on the first day. We only had 70 <laughs> so, chairs. Wow. But yeah, the vast majority of our funding though came from individuals, not churches. Um, you got to remember, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't uh, grow up in, in the church context. So I just didn't have pretty much any real relationships with churches that were funding church plants. And so, um, man, there was just a lot of people who believed in what we were doing and loved us as a, as people, my wife and I and our, and our family and, uh, and just sewed into that. And now, you know, today here we are five years later and we're kind of seeing the fruit of it. So yeah, man, this is fascinating. Okay. (laughs) I I love this story, Matt. I really do. So uh, you started Netcast Church in Boston Massachusetts, mm-hmm. not exactly a churched area. And today, five years later, I mean, you're barely five. Um, mm-hmm. You see what, 600 people on the weekend? Yeah, it's about 600 people uh, right now. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had the opportunity to, to help uh, the guy who led me to the Lord, Ricky, plant a church in Roxbury. Uh, we were looking to send another guy to Nashville, New Hampshire, a guy named uh, Scott Kearney. Uh, we're looking to start another ministry at some point, hopefully soon in Gloucester, uh, Mass out here. And so, yeah, I mean, there's just so much work to be done. Obviously, uh, we can't we can't do it all, but I mean, we just have a big vision. We we want to. Ultimately, we we see that even if Netcast ourselves 
if we were to change the percentage of Christianity by just 1%, we'd be probably the one of the largest churches in all of New England. And wow. uh, But yet New England would still be one of the least reached regions of the United States. So we could be big, but the region isn't all that changed. And so our, our goal is shifted, really. Our vision is shifted. We want to see about 100 churches mobilizing 1,000 people within the next 30 years, and then we'll die and hand it to our kids. And so... Man, say okay, say that again. In New England, you want to see 100 churches mobilizing 1,000 people? Right. 100 churches mobilizing 1,000 people or reaching 1,000 people each wow. in 30 years. And so... And That's 100,000 people. Yeah, and you're going into so Gloucester. I think I've been there. Is that like right on the coast? And is that yeah. where um, the fishing village from A Perfect Storm, that movie? Yeah, I yeah. know that. Actually, okay. So the guy, the guy who, uh, the guy who runs the bar, who owns the bar, The Perfect Storm was filmed in and based off of is a is a good friend of mine. Actually, no way. So, yeah, I got to know him. Okay. Not a believer. Uh, nope. About fifty years old. Played basketball. I played basketball with him and some other guys. Uh, the bar's called Crow's Nest, and so that's my mission field right now, personally. And they have, like, a unique accent in that town, too, right? Like, oh, totally, my God. Totally, totally, you can barely understand them. Oh, yeah. Well, I could, but Big they time. probably couldn't understand me with my Canadian accent, so no, that's we, it. We get but, you. But my point, my point simply is this. Okay, I've been to Gloucester. Yep. That doesn't, like, that is hard soil there. I mean, when you look at that, I'm not sure that there's a growing church in town. I mean, it's yeah. a little fishing village. It still mm-hmm. is an actual fishing village. Yep. And not a place, you know, like sometimes you go into big cities and you can predict where all the hotels are, you'll find a mega right. church, right? Right. You, you are not going there. And why Gloucester? I think that Gloucester, uh, the same reason for Gloucester is the same reason for the entire North Shore of Boston. You know, there's just no churches. And yeah. uh, when you look at the North Shore of Greater Boston, it consists of about a 10-mile radius. Within that 10-mile radius, you got about a million people, 41 cities, and it's only about 2.53% evangelical, right? And so you've got about 24,000 Christians about in that area. Hmm. And so to some extent, Gloucester came about because we have a guy who just has a real heart for Gloucester, and we're developing him right now. His name is Cody, and uh, we're developing him to either lead a campus, hopefully a campus that would turn into an autonomous church plan at some point. And so he's got a real heart for that area, feels like the Lord's calling him there. And so for us, we just want to be faithful to make sure that we're equipping the people that the Lord is sending. And so, uh, but Gloucester, you know, at some at some extent, you could close your eyes and just point your finger anywhere on the map out here and it needs a church. And so, um, hmm. and so for Gloucester, you know, that's, the Lord just seems to have opened up that, open up that door through this, through this guy. And so, so we just want to be faithful with it. And so, yeah. See, this is what I love about what you and what Josh Gagnon are doing and other leaders in New England is, you know, a lot of people would look at that and go, well, there are no churches, so therefore we can't plant a church. You know, there are <laughs> no churches. So therefore, you know, no church is going to thrive. But like you're, you're thriving in an area where not a lot of churches are thriving. Uh, you know, Next Level Church, Josh, he's planting churches where nobody else is going. Right. What makes you look at the hard soil differently? Um, well, you know, to, I mean, this is going to sound a little cliche, but to be honest, man, there's no special demons in New England. I mean, it's life is not all that different. You still shop at Target. You know, if you're unhealthy, you still eat at McDonald's. You still play, <laughs> you know, basketball at the YMCA. I mean, it's really no different uh, than any other context. I think uh, some of the things are um, – it. 
It just takes somebody who's willing to do the hard work of laboring in a context in which you might not originally be accepted or initially be accepted. And it's it's a hard context because you really have to learn the culture. You really have to learn how to reach these people. You have to really understand what are the questions that they're asking. And there aren't a lot of churches that are out here that you can model yourself after. Whereas I think there are in the Southern context or in some of the more Bible Belt areas, there's a lot of models that you can adapt yourself to, or you can, you can uh, you know, almost steal and yeah. start a church in an area that is somewhat churched and um, and you and you kind of have a manual that you could follow, whereas in our context, there's not but just a few churches that are really reaching people, and every context out here seems to be a little bit different. And so, in many ways, you really have to have that entrepreneurial spirit where you're okay with writing your own story, and not in an arrogant, prideful way, like, "Hey, I have nothing to learn from anybody." You're going to want to learn from everyone you can. But there's just no real model that you can just adapt from somebody and put it into your church plant and just see it grow because because every culture like it, every leader is a little bit different, um, every church seems to be a little bit different, and uh, every context out here seems to be a little bit different. And so I don't know, man. It's just it's just it's just that spirit of being willing to learn as you go and being willing to make changes on the fly. Where it's just a lot of a lot of leaders, um, that's hard to do. We don't like change. I mean, most yeah. most of us leaders, we don't like change. And so... Yeah, it's easier to boilerplate it and go, ah, doesn't work here, right? Right, right. Now, so well, let's go there. Let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you've got five years under your belt. Um, mm-hmm. What is connecting with people in North Shore, Boston, and what's not? What are, what are you finding? Like, you're like, okay, most churches do this and it works here. But yeah, we had to tweak this or we had to change that. You want to talk about more assimilation into the church? Yeah, you can talk about assimilation. You can talk about about your programming. You can talk about how your Sunday morning works. Like what what is, because you are attractional and missional. So it's a bit of both, right? You don't want to be ugly on Sunday. So let's start with Sunday. What's what's working? Yeah, so um, I mean, one of the things we realized right out the gate is um, because this context, although they're not, they're not churched. Um, they are spiritual, very spiritual. Like people are asking very spiritual questions. They are religious, meaning that they have, everybody has some sort of weird tie to a church somewhere or the Catholic church or their grandmother who went to church. And so they do have some sort of, uh, presuppositional view of what the church should look like. And it always constitutes a building in a Sunday. And so Mm -hmm. when we got here and we started telling people we're a church, but we don't have a place to meet, I was a cult leader immediately, right? Wow. Yeah. And so we realized that our uh, uh, the way that we anticipated of planting our church wasn't really going to work because it, by inviting people to your house, they're afraid that you're going to feed them some sort of Kool Aid and you know and and try to hypnotize them into some sort of weird cultish thing, right? And so and so we just realized we're going to have to have a Sunday morning gathering, and so pretty quickly on. That's why when the YMCA gave us their keys, we jumped right on it. You know, I think our for us, we have a clear process. It's called come, learn, commit, go. Uh, and our very first step 
uh, for every person that uh, we interact with as a church is the come. You're you're mm-hmm. going to come on a Sunday morning. That's where you're going to come. Everything else tends to be a lot more threatening and pretty much too threatening. Sure. Um, and so on Sunday mornings is where it's kind of like the first step where people come into our church. But um, and I think this is where churches struggle uh, out here. Not a lot of churches have a next step, right? And so uh, you might show up on a Sunday morning and then hopefully people just stick around. And every Sunday morning for us, we are pointing people to the very next step. We have a uh, an environment we call Discover. We just tell everybody, your very next step, if you're new here, you want to learn more about who we are and what we're about, your very next step is to come to Discover um, and in good. discover we, that's where we, it's a, it's a really a three week long, uh, course. Uh, we don't tell them it's a course. We don't tell them it's three weeks. We tell them the next step at, after they go to the first step, right? So the next step after they that's go to the smart. first one. Yeah. And so we just tell, okay, next, next time is come back next week. We're going to talk about this. And so, uh, we try to not give people too much up front. We want to give them just enough to keep them salivating for more. And so, uh, so we had, you know, and that's one of the things I learned over the course of the last five years. I used to be, when I first got started, I used to be a hater when it came to process and yeah. assimilation and systems and all that stuff. And, you know, those guys were the guys who were selling out and making the church corporate. And man, I was such an idiot when I thought that way. <laughs> I really was. And really, the more you, the re- you read the Bible, you just see the importance of those things too. I mean, Jesus... Yeah had a system, he had a process, the uh, early church had a process. And so... Well, and if you only want to reach 20 people, you don't need a process. Exactly. If you actually, if you actually hope to be a steward of five, six, seven hundred people, you need a process. If you want to plant a hundred churches that reach a thousand people, you need a process. I agree. Exactly. Exactly. That's good. So for us, I mean, I think that's that's been the big thing for us is over the last couple of years, just seeing how important it is. If you truly want to be a church that is healthy, that uh, people are feeling cared for, uh, and that is actually taking steps to fulfill your mission, hopefully your mission is big, then you need processes, man. You need mm. systems in- involved in that. And so uh, so we're a big fan of that now. And so, yeah. yeah, that's big for us. That's good. That's good. Any other adaptations? What about Sunday morning? What does Sunday morning feel like, look like? Yeah. Um, Could you do I, like full out like, you know, I don't know whether you use electronic or, or like, yeah. what, I mean, what kind we, of music do you do? If you come to Sunday morning, I guess you would probably get a vibe like you would get at Hillsong, New York, most likely, as gotcha. far as what it looks like. So uh, loud music. We do have lights. You know, we've got a pretty booming kids ministry in the back area. You know, just a fun atmosphere. We try to keep Sundays um you know, again, as attractional as we know how and as we can, but a, but also that being said, our primary goal on a Sunday morning is to equip the saints. And so when we see our gathering on Sunday morning, this is where some of this is where, again, we just had to adapt. Um, for us on Sunday mornings, the vast majority, I would say 90% of the people who are coming to gather with us on a Sunday morning, the vast majority of those people are believers. Gotcha. Uh, and so they may have become a believer at our church in the last five years, but the vast majority of them are Christians or view themselves as Christians. Sure. And so we treat them like Christians. And so our goal on Sunday morning is to equip them. And so when I'm teaching, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm teaching Christians. And so I'm teaching them 
from the scriptures to be missionaries back in their context. I just feel like for the long haul for us, uh, we want to create an atmosphere that is obviously seeker intelligible. We recognize that they're there and they're coming. We want them to understand what we're saying. But the church is the church because we're believers, right? And so when we gather, we gather to worship God uh, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit through uh, through what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And a non-Christian can't do that. And so, right. um, and so we just make Sundays about uh, trying to be as... Uh, um, as clear as we can uh, about our message and who we are, and uh, and we're equipping the saints, and so that's what we do on Sunday mornings. So, how do you do that with new people in the room? Like, how do you get? Is there a tune out factor where you kind of go, okay, the new people are we just lost them? Man, I think man, that is an awesome question, uh, and I think that I I just had to get content with the fact that Christians and non Christians need pretty much the same thing, right? Okay. And so, yeah. for us. Uh, our message is pretty redundant. On Sunday mornings, we're inspiring our church to trust in Christ, and uh, and so we're we're reminding everybody in the room that we're sinners who desperately need the grace of God hmm. that's extended through Christ, and so uh, and so that has implications on our lives, and so that is a, an appealing message for the believer and the non-believer, and that's a necessary message for the believer and the non-believer, and so. To some extent, on Sunday mornings, it's very redundant where we just try to be as gospel-centered as we know know how to be by pushing everybody to, to Christ, recognizing that whether you're a believer or not a believer, we all need that. And so... Yeah. So that's kind of our, that's our mindset. Well, one of, the, one of the things, if I can ask you a further question on that, I heard Andy yeah. Stanley say this years ago, you know, do you preach to believers or do you preach to seekers or, you know, outsiders or insiders on Sunday? And he says, you speak to people. Right. And that's been really transformative for me over the last 10 years. It's kind of like, right. yeah, I'm just, and I'm surprised. I mean, you know, marriage problems. Do Christians or non-Christians have them? The answer is Yes. everybody's got marriage problems, you know, people have money problems, people have connecting with God problems, people have issues with themselves or in their key relationships. And so I think if you stick to the gospel and people, you pretty much resonate universally. Is that what you're saying? Or is that what you're finding? I mean, it's literally exactly what I'm saying. I mean, so for us, our, we, I mean, it's even stated in our mission. I mean, we want to multiply committed disciples and we want to do two things. We want to communicate the gospel and we want to connect people relationally. Hmm. Those are the two things that we want to do. If we could spend 30 years communicating the gospel as clearly as we know how to as many people as we know how and connect people to each other, then we feel like, man, we've done our job, right? And so the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And so... That's our goal. Okay, let's jump back to music for a minute. Why do you think that like Hillsong, loud music, lights vibe is working yeah, yeah. In, in a place like Boston? So I, I don't, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know if it is or isn't. It's just what I like, you know? <laughs> so, I love the honesty. That's yeah, great. Man. That's so awesome. I don't know. So it's, it's funny you ask that so question. I, I, when I'm talking to, to guys um, about church planting and kind of and all that, I just tell them, you, you know, to some extent, your measure is uh, is what you need to do. Like if you hate it um, and you can't get excited about it, whatever that it is, whether it be music or teaching or your processes, if you don't like it and you can't get excited about it, nobody else will. And so 
uh, I like that. That's that's how the Lord has just wired me. And so um, so that's what we're going to do, because I don't want to lead a church that I don't like. And so, <laughs> so that's uh, so that's it. Right. And so it's, it might that's be a little so selfish. Honest. No, that's so honest. That's so right. true. But, you know, I wonder if underneath that is this idea of passion. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm almost two decades older than you. You're in your early 30s. You know, I'm just 50. But, you know, one of my goals is to be part of a church I don't like because I want people in their 20s and 30s to love our church. But right. I, I agree that at a certain point, your passion is going to get hotter and it's going to be more fueled if you love the vibe at your right. church. If right. you if you really if you're not trying to, like, fit into these clothes that don't fit when you preach, right. um, you're going to be better. Like right. if you can, if you can find a style that comes from the inside out or worship that right. comes, you know, not to quote old songs, but from the inside out, um, you're just going to be better at it. You're going to be better at it. So I get that. I get that. Okay. Well, and that's super honest. And I guess the people who love that, they're coming. Uh, Do you have an average age at your church? Like, is that you're 33? Yeah, I'm 33. The vast majority of our church is young adults. So probably between the age of 25 and 30. And for for us, we also, in an attempt to uh, I, I guess not stay young, but continue to reach those who are coming behind us. I guess we obviously want to reach everybody, but again, our long-term goal and vision is to die in 30 years and to hand it off. And so, um, so in order to do that, we really need need to pour into those who are coming up. Uh, you know, through <laughs> through the through the you know just come just the group behind yeah, us. Yeah, I guess, yeah. and you know, to do that, we have to do all we know to inspire. Um, the generations ahead of us, right? Those who are older than than I, to uh, to get in the game and not make our church netcast about them. I think that's something that's very, very important for us as a church is that we're trying to do all that we know to take the seasoned believers, um, the ones who love God and worship Jesus, and you know have been believers for quite some time. We want to do all that we know how to inspire them to see their responsibility as passing the baton off, which means, gotcha. which means you're going to disciple and pour into people younger than you, which means you're not going to make our music style about you, which means you're not going to get angry at me because I was, you know, I said something on stage that you didn't like and your generation, you know, would never put up with that. I mean, and the cool thing is, is behind the scenes, you know, we see a lot of people, being developed into disciples who are younger. So when people are getting saved and you're baptizing a hundred people a year or whatever it is that, you know, the Lord is doing, the older generation gets excited about that. They're not going to argue about that, right? It's when you're not being effective, you know, everybody then needs something to complain about. That's right. When you lose the mission, it becomes about your preferences. Right. I think that's very true. And I'll give you a buy on like, I like that music. So that therefore that's what we do. (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) that. That's cool. Okay. What's been the hardest part in the last five years planting this church? What's been the Uh, hardest part for you personally, Matt? Yeah, I think the hardest part is as a, as a leader, as you grow, uh, relational death occurs when numerical growth occurs, right? And so Mm. when the people who I started with are not the people who I'm ending with, we're celebrating five years right now. Only there's probably only about five people who were there at that, that, at that vision night that we had, you know, you really find out whether or not you're somebody's pastor when you tell them no. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for us, um, ministry can, I, I've just realized that ministry can be extremely lonely at times because doing the right thing is no indication that everyone is going to love it. And so, um, and so leadership and pastoral ministry gets very difficult when you're leading a growing church and your responsibilities as the leader or your role as the pastor has to change and shift. And so, you know, you just, you lose friends. Um, and that is extremely hard. Uh, I, you know, my father-in-law started to help start the church with us and he's no longer with us. And that was a really hard experience. Yeah. Yes. Family. And so just, what was that? Just like without getting too personal, just like a disagreement about style or preference or something. Yeah. You know, I think it, I think it was, again, it was one of those things where we didn't have a lot of clarity at times about what hat we were wearing when we were wearing it. So, um, there were times where, where I had to be the leader. And, uh, and here's a guy who at one point was a pastor for, uh, he was a pastor for 20 something years. Right. Right. And, um, and so when I had to put on the, I'm the pastor hat, Hmm. uh, and there's not clarity around that, that's hard. Right. And so when I have to put on the hat, uh, you know, I'm your boss, Hmm. that's really difficult to do. And so not having clarity, I try to tell guys all the time, be really clear about what your what hat you're wearing when you're wearing it. You know, there's times where you have to be a friend. There's times where you have to be uh, just a goofball and you're just hanging out with the guys. Mm-hmm. And then there's times where you have to be the leader, the pastor, the shepherd. Uh, you're the one who's uh, hiring and firing and and so that right there is hands down the most difficult, the been the most difficult thing for, yeah. for us, right? No, and you're not, you're not alone in that. I mean, I think a lot of us can go back to launch meetings or whatever. And, you know, I've gotten better at this over the years. Like there, there, there was a season in ministry, honestly, where I didn't want to use a picture more than six months old because, oh, that person left and this person left and that person right. left. You know, now we can go back half a dozen years or a dozen years sometimes, and it's still pretty much the same people, except, you know, the audience has, has grown. But, you know, you still get people who like go, and it's hard. It's hard. And sometimes right. that's you, and sometimes that's just inevitable. So I empathize. Yeah. I mean, I get that. We've all been there, and every church planner has been there. What else has been hard for you? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, there's another. Another thing that's difficult is when, um, for for me, coming into this with very little experience, um, you, you don't anticipate people's expectations. And so you have, uh, when our church grew really fast, we didn't really have a clear mission and vision. And so um, and so because of that, people would come on, come into the church, well-meaning people, good people, people who love God and love the church, but they have these expectations on how they're going to interact with their pastor or mm-hmm. expectations on what their church is going to look like. Um, and, uh, and if there's not clarity around that, you know, things can go south fast. And so in 2014, we as a church, I just realized that our church was extremely unhealthy. We had grown uh, to about 500 people uh, in, well, I guess that would have been like three three years. And so we had grown to about 500 people. And I just was looking at our church realizing we have very little direction and very little health. Um, mm. We have no idea what we're really doing. We're just kind of continuing to put on a Sunday morning show and put people into groups. But, uh, but we're continually assimilating people into what seems to be unhealthy because we're not yeah. developing leaders at the pace that we needed to. And so in 2014, we shrunk 
by 200 people and grew by 230 people within about a 15 month period. And so, and so basically what happened was, is once we, once I came to the realization that we were fairly unhealthy, but big, I wanted to focus on health. And so rather than trying to fix the plane while it's flying, um, we just decided, okay, let's land the plane. Let's figure out how to get healthy. Let's organize ourselves in a way that we can be healthy. And then let's take this plane back up in the air and let's go for, you know, go across the sea again and see what Mm -hmm. happens. And so, and so we did that. And so in 2014, we just really defined who we were, where we were going, what are our values? uh, How are we going to be organized? People all of a sudden had job descriptions Mm -hmm. and clarity around roles. And we had a leadership team and we had a budget that, you know, we were going to try to follow this time. And so we were, Mm -hmm. we started doing that and, uh, and yeah, we lost a lot of people, but we grew by 30 people still. Right. And so, so actually some people love the chaos. Is that what you're saying? Or some people left as a result of the chaos. I think some people left as a result of change. Yeah. And, uh, but, but that change turned out to be for the better. And so what we're seeing is some of those people are coming back, uh, and we're reaching people who we weren't before. And so, um, which is totally okay with us. Right? Well, it gets back to that point of sustainability and structure that you talked about earlier. Hey, mm-hmm. Matt, in the last uh, question or two, how have you, how do you keep growing as a leader? I mean, structurally, yeah. there's a big difference between, you know, 40 people in your living room, 100 people, 120 people on day one, and leading a church of 600. I mean, you're still relatively young. How how have you managed to scale all this, and how do you keep growing, and how do you not burn out, and right. how do you end up, you know, staying married and all that stuff? Yeah, so you know, I I think um, I, I think that one of the keys for not burning out uh, is trying to to abide in the Lord as much as you as much as you're able, um, and so just trying to press into the Lord as often as I can. I take my Mondays, my Monday mornings are usually just me and Jesus. And uh, I think that's super helpful for me. And again, not that I only give Jesus my Monday mornings, right? But I just need a time where I'm where, where I'm focused on what's important, and that's Christ yeah. in my life. And so I think that's important. I think um, the, the recognition that uh, who I am today needs to be vastly different in 10 years. Mm. And so, uh, so understanding that what I do today will then define who I am in 10 years is important. And so making sure that I have, uh, I have an intentional learning plan that I, uh, I've had some people put together for me. I have been a part of leadership cohorts, um, where I'm just, uh, in, um, I'm rubbing shoulders with other leaders Mm. who are pouring into me and I have a coach. Like, I think that that's important too. So I have a, I have a coach right now who's um, who I have specific questions that I go to every single month, and they're usually about six questions, and I want to listen. So this is a rare thing for me to be in a setting with a guy like you, and uh, I'm not the one asking questions. I want to constantly ask questions. How do I lead better? How do I organize us better? How do I trust in Jesus better? Um, and I think that, that strong leaders do that because we recognize in 10 years from now, I'm going to hopefully, by the grace of God, be leading something that is much larger, much more effective, uh, much more faithful than I'm leading today, but I'm not going to get there by accident. And so, uh, so I just need to be intentional about that. 
Yeah. Well, good news is that never really stops. I usually find myself asking questions <laughs> right. regularly, right? I want to be better a decade from now. I, right. You know, when you, when you die, you stop growing. And right. uh, I'm not dead yet. So right. I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep asking questions. And you've heard it said, I'm sure, Matt, but, you know, great leaders are defined by the questions they ask, yeah. not the answers they give. And I think that's very, very true. Well, Matt, I know people are going to want to know more. They're going to want to know more about you. They're going to want to know more about Netcast Church. So where can they find more? Online? Yeah. Uh, follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Netcast Church is uh, is our feed. Uh, my feed personally is Matt Tuning. Uh, you go to netcastchurch.org. Uh, that is N-E-T-C-A-S-T-C-H-U-R-C-H.org. Um, yeah, and we, you know, we have a real heart for our, our city. And so if there's people out there that, uh, that are looking to plant churches, um, in the greater Boston area, one of the most influential cities in America, man, we would love to, uh, we'd love to hear about that. We'd love to do all that we can to pour into that and, uh, and just be a blessing, uh, as so many have been a blessing to us. And so, so yeah, that's it, man. Hey Matt, thanks so much. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Carrie, we love you, man. We we do. Thank you so much for all you all you do for us young guys out here and young and old, obviously, but uh, your ministry is fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. Well, isn't that encouraging? And man, I'm I, I just I just love church planners. And so for all of you who are doing that, for all of you who are in the trenches, for all of you who are working so hard. We're with you, man. Uh, We're going to do our very best. Hey, thanks so much to our sponsors today, Vanderbloom and Search Group. Make sure you check out pastorsearch.com and EA Help, who are at eahelp.com. And next week, I'm coming back with Rusty George. He leads an incredible church out in California called Real Life Church. And Rusty's got a fascinating story. The best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe because in two weeks, I'm going to have just a fascinating conversation with Larry Osborne as well. And then for all of you young leaders, man, I used to think burnout was something that happened to people after a decade in ministry. I'm sitting down with a guy that I know and have sort of mentored or become friends with who burned out in his first year of ministry. And Grant has got an incredible story. He's up three weeks from now. So really excited about that. If you subscribe, it's all taken care of. Just shows up in your inbox every Tuesday. And thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. I hope that our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.